0: Welcome back to Thriving in Business and Life. This is Will Wilkinson.
1: And this is Christopher Harding. And last week we were talking about vision and some of the uh, techniques that people a lot of times leave out of the visioning process. We talked about saying it, getting real clear on on what the goal or vision is, and, and realizing that that might even be a short-term vision, like I'm getting mm-hmm. ready to walk into a meeting. Right and I I say it, I I sense it or see it, Mm -hmm. and the real important thing, to feel it.
0: Exactly, that's often what's left out. Right, right. And another thing that's left out of uh, a lot of the work people do with setting intentions and thinking about their goals And strategizing is to face the facts of the way things are right now.
1: Well, and that's so wonderful that you say that because, (laughs) (laughs) as you know, it's the topic of the day.
0: I glanced at our notes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How to accurately assess the current situation. So we talked last week a little bit about you used the analogy of if I'm going to Chicago, I need to know that's where I'm going versus Mm -hmm. London. Mm -hmm. And kind of what we're talking about today is I need to know where I am Exactly. In order to know whether I'm going east or west, to use that metaphor. This this
0: is particularly challenging for visionaries because we think in imaginative terms. And so if somebody dares to bring up the facts of the situation, it can seem like they're raining on our parade.
1: Well, and a lot of times, you know, there's times to do that. So, for example, a brainstorming session wouldn't be the time to necessarily accurately assess the current situation because we want to... Think big and bold. But once we've identified where we're headed, as you said, it becomes essential that we not only allow, but that we solicit input from people so we understand where are we right now.
0: Well, absolutely. That's our starting point. And we just use that simple map analogy. You need to know where you are and you need to know where you're going and then navigate from A to B. So this that we're speaking about today, doing an assessment of the way things are, relates to our starting point.
1: Right. And you talked about, uh, you know, facing the facts boldly, I guess yeah. one could say, yeah. um, being willing to tell the truth about mm-hmm. how the current situation is. And I know, you know, it's, it's not only in corporate and, and company environments, but in our own life, a lot of times, um, unfortunately, we spend a lot of time in denial.
0: Well, we do, and the um, and this is a big topic we, we are tackling today, uh, Chris. Uh, I think we'll <laughs> yes. get started on it, but it's a big <laughs> one, and there's some um, there's some sensitive issues attached to this. One of them I've encountered certainly in my own experience, but also in consulting, is the fear of facing the facts because one might discover that the way things are has become a real compromise, and underneath. Facing facts lurks a very dangerous question it 's very liberating, but it 's dangerous to the status quo and that question is if i wasn 't already doing this, would I choose to do it
1: well yeah now that 's in terms of a big in terms of a big vision and life vision uh, yeah that's that 's a huge one and so i want I want to delay that just for a minute because I want to go back more to the, the smaller visions, mm-hmm. the more intermediate visions. For example, um, you know, I have a meeting I need to attend that's very important, and you know, to flash back on what we've said, I realize my story in the past is that I think the meeting is boring. Mm-hmm. I realize I have some biases about people right. in the meeting. Right. I'm setting those aside. I'm, I'm going to infuse some of my values, like uh, maybe creativity or curiosity, mm-hmm. into the meeting and now i've i've actually created this sense of i see me in the meeting i see all of us really stimulated you know and, and now i'm even looking back on the meeting that, that future mm-hmm. backcasting mm-hmm. wow that meeting was great uh, all the things that happened mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. so you know i've i've had that now coming back to facing the facts of the present it might be that wow I really need to prepare.
0: Well, and it might also be the meeting is starting in five minutes, and I suddenly am aware that I could have prepared more. Yeah. (laughs) Now, instead of just beating yourself up over that, that's part of facing the facts where you could go, you know, I'm not feeling as prepared as I wish I could be, so what am I going to do to mitigate for that?
1: Well, and maybe this goes to kind of the the deeper question in a way that you were asking is I realize I have a tendency to not prepare. Exactly. And to set myself up, you know, uh, sabotage in some kind of a way to show up in the meeting and not really be fully prepared. What am I what's the what's the secondary gain I'm getting out of showing up unprepared? Why am I doing that?
0: Exactly. And in facing the facts the way we're discussing it it's an opportunity to challenge assumptions, to challenge the status quo and say, well, I'm going to do something different this time. Now, we never would have gotten to that uh, realization of a possibility if we hadn't looked at the facts.
1: Right. Right. Well, and and looked at the facts in a way to where I was willing to get over denial. Yeah. So you know, using it in short term ways, maybe even, for example, um, working with a client who's trying to really do some bold new things in their division as their new fiscal year begins. And as they started to really have this wonderful vision, it came time to accurately assess the current situation, and the realization was, that they weren't going to have the money Mm. to do what Mm -hmm. they had envisioned doing Mm -hmm. unless they made some significant Mm -hmm. changes. And it was a very almost disheartening conversation at first.
0: Yeah. Well, this is why we say start with the vision. Because if you start with facing facts, you can get so disheartened you give up. (laughs) yeah truly And, and you know we always have to deal with this with clients where we make sure they understand that because we're starting with vision and you know getting into the imaginative goal and how good it feels and all that doesn't mean that we're not going to face the facts we will get to that but we get to it inside a visionary context that is the single most important thing to remember.
1: Well, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking of two instances. So this situation I was just describing, what they've realized as they accurately assess the current situation mm-hmm. is that the timing of how their vision is going to, going to unfold Will be different. It's going to have to be potentially pushed out a little bit yeah. further into the future yeah. right. to allow them to get the the funding and the grants and so on that will will uh, facilitate this vision more clearly. Uh, well, I, what
0: a great tool!
1: Well, it, it is because it allows them to realize that well, this year is going to be a year of preparation right. and funding development.
0: Right. Well, you're you're picking out such an important point here because. Kind of the visionary state is all immediate
1: right it's like right. happening
0: right now, you know we've had the success that's wonderful, but that isn't really how it's going to work It's going to take months and quarters and
1: well and as you're saying that i'm I'm realizing that in in our uh in our online course about assessing accurately, assessing the current situation, the second point we address is how success can blind us.
0: Oh man, this is such a huge one, and I loved your Kodak story. It might be good to tell that again, because facing facts allows us to see where we are blind because of success, to assume that we're going to be successful doing something we did before that was successful, maybe not necessarily so.
1: Well, yeah, and I think everybody fairly well knows the Kodak story. They'd been the king or queen of of film photography. And so when digital photography came along, they were slow to respond even though some of their internal people had developed the first digital camera.
0: Right, I remember that was back in 1985.
1: Yeah, yeah, some sometime far be, before mm-hmm. digital photography really came on the forefront, but it was a threat to their existing business, yeah. so it really kind of got sidelined. And even though their people knew solutions for getting them on board in the digital age, they were very resistant. Well, it's interesting because uh, in the situation I was just telling you about one of the reasons why it was difficult for this client i'm referencing to realize their funding challenge was they'd had two stellar years of Mm. phenomenal Mm. um, financials due in part to some you could say windfall activity Uh, that they'd received and they were still thinking as if the windfall was there when in fact it had evaporated.
0: Well, you're you're reminding me of the wonderful uh, statistical work done by William Deming. Right. And he became, you know, famous in Japan. Wasn't as well received in America initially. The Deming Award in Japan is the highest award in business. And Deming always emphasized how you need to test, test, and retest. Because if you assume the results you're getting are because of this one thing, you could be dead wrong.
1: Well, yeah, and... Deming influenced a lot of of what is now, for example, lean management. So Toyota, for example, really kind of took on the Deming idea and then modified it even further into their own cultural norms to where a big part of how they pursue an idea before they've even announced it is they really get a lot of input from various people. They're accurately assessing both the current situation and people's sense of what's possible and what's not possible,
0: right? And the challenge, as we all know, if you've, we've ever done anything, is reconciling the detail work with the visionary part of it, because the details—they say the devil is in the details. Once we get into the details, it's possible to lose our vision. We can get bogged down.
1: Well, so I want to go back to to something you said just a, just a few moments ago. Um, you know, you were talking about managing the details inside a visionary context so it's it's uh this process of of looking at what's currently going on but somehow not losing the the real feeling and encouragement and visionary aspects of a vision or goal
0: well you just named the the key the feeling that's why we emphasize having a feeling connected to the vision. What's it going to feel like when we succeed? Because the details are going to kind of show up along the way. Things are not going to work out the way we planned. It's guaranteed. So if we're tethering our fulfillment to the physical outcomes, we're going to always be disappointed. Or at least disrupt it. But if we can establish a feeling, you know, it's going to feel like this, and we know that we're going to have to navigate that the third quarter is not going to look like it looks on paper. Right, It's right. just not going to. It might then be, it we might won't be lose, better, it might be worse. It's, it's yeah. going to be different. We yeah. know that. But we won't lose hope if we've got the feeling of our vision like a compass guiding our way.
1: You know, I was working with a client a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this, the the idea that if I'm really clear on the vision— then even when I run into obstacles, I'm not going, oh, no, we're going to fail. I I take on more of the attitude of, wow, it's going to be interesting to see how we get through this one.
0: Well, and that's why it's so important uh, when we're working on teams that we take the time to establish the shared vision.
1: Right, right. In in our
0: book and our course, we use the example of the Titanic. (laughs) The tragedy of that ship sinking where... When you analyze, when you face the facts, after the fact, it's clear that the the players who contributed to that tragedy all had a different vision of what was important.
1: Yeah, their individual priorities took precedence over a collective vision which maybe had ne- never been clearly articulated other than their sense of pride of this awesome new ship.
0: Well, I think you're right. I don't think it had been. I mean, the captain had his agenda, which was breaking the speed record that had been set before by I think their sister ship and the radio operator had his priority which was making sure messages got through to people through the terminal in Newfoundland before they were out of range. We went through this story and uncovered like five or six different individuals who had a different vision of what was most important.
1: Yeah, the shared vision is is absolutely critical and being able to, to identify and put our agendas on the table, so to speak, so that we can then see, is my agenda out of harmony with the larger vision?
0: Yeah, exactly. I learned this living up in Canada on the coast. For a while I was in a fairly remote town and I took ferries to get back to Vancouver it became very clear that my primary vision was to get to the ferry terminal on time. <laughs> I mean, I could be busy with all kinds of useful things, but if the ferry left at 12, 12.10, and I got there at 12.11, I wasn't gonna make my meeting in Vancouver.
1: Right, right. Well, that, that uh, I think, you know, so, so let's, let's think about that for a minute. Uh, let's make up a scenario. So your priority was to get to the ferry at a certain period of time and assuming that that was a fairly important priority because you had business and meetings but let's say you you had a relationship as a priority and somebody in your life all of a sudden needed you really importantly you know during that same period of time you know then it's it's kind of like weighing it and saying well is is my vision about relationship going to take priority or is my focus on getting the ferry in time so important that maybe I you know I'm rude to people as I drive to the ferry or I ignore an important phone call you know I mean this whole thing of the priorities I have are they really in alignment with my deeper vision and my right. deeper values
0: well that takes us back to module 3 in our online course on values and how important it is to identify What are our most important values? And for this exact reason, because this kind of conflict shows up for all of us, suddenly the phone rings, uh, somebody drops over, an unexpected event occurs that challenges our agenda. In this case, this example, I'm jumping in my car, getting ready to go to the ferry, have an important meeting to make, I've got to make the ferry, the phone rings. It's a family member, a loved one, a friend, something has happened. Do I deal with them quickly and make the ferry or do I call and say I'm going to be two hours late? Right. The The way that that decision gets made properly relates to my awareness of my deepest values and honoring them. If I haven't take the, taken the time to identify those values, I could make a decision based on some other priority and regret it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of times we, we talk about the difference between professed values and lived values. Yeah. I might you know, profess relationship as being a strong one, and yet under pressure, I caved to the business priority, which would tell me not rightly or wrongly, just that as of now, at least, the business priority is a more important value to me. At least, based on how I'm living my life. If that was, if if you had made that choice,
0: and you know, I know you do this with your clients, and I do as well. It's all about learning we're in a learning environment. It's not like we get it down and that's that. Right. We are learning from everything that happens. That, by the way, is, as we well know, is extremely inspirational.
1: Well, it, it is. I think the willingness to realize that, um, and I've had this conversation recently with several people, that the whole idea of thriving, which is kind of the core of, of our approach, is it's not like you get in this thriving state and you're just sailing, right? It's It's almost like an ongoing choice throughout the day.
0: Well, it is. You know, we're in a learning paradigm, and we're learning from everything that happens. We're trying things out. That's another part of thriving that, you know, one of my favorites is we're experimenting.
1: Right, right.
0: right. And not all experiments succeed. So suddenly, instead of like, well, if I ever fail, it's a major disaster. It's like, well, I am going to fail because I'm experimenting, and I'm experimenting my way to a different kind of success.
1: Well, and as we talked about with Edison last week is I could also look at that, you know, what we might call a failure as a success in learning something that didn't work.:
0: Well, exactly, and there's something so authentic about that, and I mentioned that it's inspirational because there's nothing that intimidates people more than somebody who comes across as being perfect.
1: Yeah, well, because you immediately
0: yeah. compare yourself to them and say, "Oh, I could never match that." But a leader who's confident and capable, maybe even a genius, who also is openly admitting when they, you know, fail to get the result they wanted, is adjusting, etc. That is inspirational.
1: Yeah, and we'll get into this more in in a later conversation, later podcast. But part of this comes down to being willing to own. How I've contributed to a situation, whether it was successful or not.
0: Well, we have a terrific example of that as of this recording time with the Starbucks story. Yeah. Where these two uh, African American men were arrested basically for being in a Starbucks waiting for their friends. And I noticed the reaction from the CEO of Starbucks. I saw a little video clip of him. Fantastic. He's taking full responsibility, shutting down 8,000 stores. To do an afternoon of bias training right. and relating to racism, and he's owning it completely.
1: Well, and it's, it's uh, you know, that's one of those things accurately assessing the current situation. Now, they could have handled that very differently.
0: Oh, no kidding.
1: And, <laughs> uh, you, you know, people might say, you know, well, hopefully this is a first step and, and so on. We don't know all the details, but you're right. He he stepped in. He took ownership. He actually flew out and met with the young men. Um, it's it's one of those examples where he assessed accurately that apparently they hadn't done enough bias training to where a manager or you know whoever it was that made that call within the store didn't even realize that they were judging those two men differently than they might have had they been white, for example. Right.
0: And conspicuous by its absence in the reporting is any particular blame for the manager.
1: Well, other than the fact that the manager is no longer working there.
0: Well, exactly. But often in stories like this, there's scapegoating that goes on. Right. And they defer blame to somebody else there's been some incidents on airlines recently where the CEO reaction was entirely different. Yes. Defensiveness and posturing, explanations. That's why this example with Starbucks stands out.
1: Yeah, there was no excuses. They just Yeah, there were there were no excuses. They just took ownership for it. He took ownership as the CEO and said we're going to cure this. So, you know, I guess you could Really take a look at it. That was a crisis for them. Exactly.
0: No doubt about it. It's costing them $12 million yeah. to shut down these 8,000 uh, shops.
1: Well, and so, you know, one of the co- things we take a look at is a, a crisis can be simply that a crisis, but there's a deeper purpose to a crisis if we elect to see it that way.
0: Exactly. And the way they are seeing it is that, ah, this incident is informing us about an endemic problem right in our culture so we're going to deal with it so the crisis becomes a learning opportunity becomes a roadway to improvement
1: yeah yeah exactly and and that's you know if you think about uh, like we talk about the power of story the story they could have made up about this is well, this was unfair, and this was just one manager, and this isn't who we are. They could have, they could have gone down a whole different road with a different story about this crisis. But the one that they've elected to create is this is a learning opportunity. It's it's a signal that things aren't right within our culture. Uh, you know, bias exists, and one of our values is you know, fairness and equity and diversity, and we're accurately assessing the situation, and we're not where we thought we were. So we're going to do something about it. And if you look at a short-term vision, it was at least right off the bat, we're going to create a moment in time where everybody in the company hears the same message.
0: Exactly. I mean, so in that sense, it's an opportunity for unification. Yeah. I mean, who would not want to work at a company that exhibited these kinds of values? And not just talk, but putting up 12 million bucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, it's it's uh, sometimes the question comes down to it as to, well, so how do I do a thriving assessment like this? What, what are the steps?
0: Well, I think we've been talking about that for the whole show here. Uh, And I love the word thriving because we see thriving in nature. It's moving ahead in a practical way with a visionary background, but experimenting and learning along the way. Now, that's very different than having an exacting strategy where you're making sure that the I's all get dotted, the T's get crossed, etc. It's more open. It's saying, hey, we're going to encounter problems but we're going to deal with them. We're going to learn from them. Crises are going to happen. We will also learn from those. So the thriving assessment is taking into account that things are going to go off the rails and people are not going to be punished for that
1: right right we're mm-hmm. going to we're going to try to create learning moments yeah. as we go so so if you think about it when uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a recent uh, meeting with a client and we walked through what their vision was and got real clear on it, and people felt it and you know say it, see it, feel it, we did that well, and then we walked back and did some of the needs assessments that that we address uh, in our book and course. For example, what, what are the needs? Uh, mm-hmm. What resources do we have available? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, what, what challenges might we be facing? Mm-hmm. And to really walk through and, and identify what are the opportunities and challenges that are between us and where we
0: want to be. So there's so much wisdom in this because the vision can be intoxicating and it can blind us to the realities of what it's going to take to get there. So when we start assessing, doing our needs assessment, what's available, uh, what is needed but is not immediately available, we can hit some turning points where we can, and I've had this happen in my own life and with clients, where we just kind of go, you know what? That's not doable. In that period of time, our, our great vision here is hinging on some factors that we weren't educated well enough about we we have to alter our vision
1: well and you know this is where when we talk about altering the vision we're altering maybe the defined aspect of what we we thought how we thought it was going to happen or when we thought it was going to happen
0: yeah like the timeline it can't happen in one year it's going to take 18 months
1: yeah so so the willingness to to be able to move um those timelines or those details be flexible with that and allowing, as we said last time, the feeling of what we were after to be the compass.
0: Well, this is the whole key. Again, we keep repeating this, but it's because it's so important. Because if you don't do this, and all of us have had experience of this, compromise sets in. So, you know, we have the vision. We're going to do this in a year. We don't do an adequate assessment. So we get into the thick of it. And suddenly it's like, I'm working 16 hours a day. Right. My children haven't seen me. I'm developing an ulcer, but we're going to make that goal. This is what the thriving assessment helps us avoid.
1: Right, because we, we look at what was the feeling of thriving through that experience, and, and if we use that as the real guide, then we adjust the details as we need to so that we stay on track.
0: Well, absolutely, because if we establish a vision and we put some detail to it, and then we find out what the feeling is, and the feeling is fun— and uh, appreciation of each other on the team and all that and then we start getting into the details and we realize uh we're going to lose all that because we'll be (laughs) stressed out drinking coffee all the time not seeing our family fighting with each other that's not the feeling we agreed on right so then that feeling is acting as a compass and we immediately course correct and say you know what we got to make some changes here what if we pushed out six months
1: Right. Would I had, that
0: let us retain that feeling?
1: Exactly. I had a, a a meeting the other day, and they were talking about a particular uh, mineral resource that they're after, and uh, they have this vision that this is you know a, it's going to be a really abundant uh, pursuit of the company and the people involved and the investors, and what they realized was as they had become so narrow cast, you mm. could say, mm. that it was going to be this one specific location that mm. was going to solve everything, yeah. that they started to overlook other possibilities and realize that maybe this location and their pursuit of it was actually making them aware of all these other people and resources and opportunities that were actually going to be even better for them to realize the vision. Yeah. And as soon as they let go of the notion that it has to be this one location, where we reach our vision, all kinds of other possibilities opened up.
0: Well, we talk about that in the program: the danger of myopic priorities. Right, where you've got this this thing, and it becomes like the penny that you hold up to the sun. You can't see the sun because of this penny. In writing, uh, often I've instructed people I'm coaching on writing. It's called you have to murder your darlings, the things you care about the most. This phrase, it's so fantastic. It's only fantastic to me
1: <laughs> or it's fantastic but it actually misses the point <laughs> yeah,
0: right. so there is some letting go involved here and uh, that's why doing the assessment is so important we start to uncover all these things that if we just stayed with the vision would would be we'd be in denial actually
1: well, and as, as we look at it, uh, you know, one thing we always want to encourage is, is to surround ourselves with people who will tell us the truth yeah. so, and, and create an openness where we reward them for their frankness and their candidness and their honesty with us so that we are able to accurately assess things that are beyond our own scope or our own ability to see.
0: Well, now, what you've just described is the way you build a really successful team. Right. People want to be in an organization like that.
1: Well, uh, so we've talked about vision first and say it, see it, feel it. We've, we've talked now about making an accurate assessment. So, you know, we're going to wrap up today and get ready for uh, next week. Uh, if you have ideas about assessments or experiences, you can reach us at thrivinginbusinessandlifeatgmail.com. I'm Christopher Harding.
0: And I'm Will Wilkinson. We hope you join us again next week.